Brian, good to see you in person. Abercrombie & Fitch Investor Day in New York City. We did this four years ago. We did. I'm so happy to be back with you in person and in New York City. Well, you look the same. I have a lot <laughs> oh, less hair. You. I have a lot <laughs> less hair. It's, uh, it's kind of actually depressing. But compared to four years ago, you know, I went back and I looked at that interview we did, and it was a different time for the brand. You were still starting out as CEO Abercrombie & Fitch. How is the brand different today, the company? How you know, Brian, you think back four years ago, I'm not sure if it's four or 400 to your, <laughs> 400. To, to your point. Um, the world has changed so incredibly and so have we. We are fundamentally a different company than we were back then. And what we have been able to accomplish and deliver is nothing short of super exciting, you know, from my opinion. Um, we were able to define the purpose of each one of our brands and we've got now, you know, a very healthy brands in our fleet. We had strong financial discipline. We learned a ton from COVID about inventory management. I mean, the lessons just go on and on. But yeah, sitting here four years later, if I were then four years before, I don't think I could have ever predicted all of the things and the challenges that we would have come across. I'm going to go with 400 years. I think it was four <laughs> years. So let's just keep that thread going throughout this interview. Okay. So look, um, let's talk to me about some of the changes you have made to Abercrombie & Fitch. Let's start with the Abercrombie & Fitch brand because I, I heard you on stage. I caught the back end of your presentation. And I heard you say uh, it's just a different company, and I heard a different tone from you. Abercrombie is back. That is the headline. And four years ago, no one believed that we could turn that brand. And what that team has done, I will say, is truly phenomenal and very, very rare for that to happen at retail. And that journey started when we defined the consumer and the 96-hour journey that that consumer is on. So that consumer feels, the, the best way to explain it is the exceptional feeling you have on the first day of a long weekend. And that became our mantra. And we created a 96-hour calendar of what that customer does during a long weekend. And we made sure that we had clothing to fit them for all of those occasions, whether that was a bachelorette party, a shower, a weekend away with friends, working out, whatever those activities were during that 96 hours. Plus, the brand has become inclusive and diverse as it always should have been. And that was all through listening to our customers and having them tell us how important that is. And we are there for them today on their journey. What is the secret sauce to turning around a legacy brand, a legacy brand like Abercrombie & Fitch? Listening to your customer. It's that simple. Listening to your customer getting your product right, and making sure that what they are telling you is what matters and you are not telling them what matters. What do they want right now? So I, go to the, I went to the Abercrombie & Fitch site, I'm scrolling around, and I saw a lot more occasion-based items from Abercrombie. I'm not used to seeing that, but I would suspect there's a reason for that. So what's exciting is that he and she are back out there they're an incredibly social consumer, and they are so excited to be, li to be living their best lives again, right? They're, they're out from quarantine, they've moved on from COVID, and they are celebrating all sorts of things. They're celebrating, I think it's the, the biggest year of weddings since like 1985. They're celebrating bachelorette parties, showers, all sorts of things, and they're coming to us for those occasions. Because again, our dress business is a great example, and Abercrombie Women's has been terrific. And we have dresses that she can wear to any one of those events. We're there for her on whichever occasion she wants to dress for. Do we need to scrap once and for all that Abercrombie & Fitch is a team brand? Once and for all. Scrap it, it's done. Scrap it. It's done. So Cross who's your target customer? <laughs> Our target customer is the young millennial. 
So that consumer today, the young millennial is around 23. Our consumer can go all the way up to 40. So we have a, a, range, a broader range of consumer. We've aged up the brand. And the team, again, has done a terrific job creating product and marketing for that consumer. How is the international consumer? I know you've, you've cleaned up a lot of the flagship stores. I want to I get to that too as sure. well. But how are you seeing the international consumer compared to the US consumer? So international, interestingly enough, I'll break that down into two regions. We have APAC and we have EMEA, <coughs> excuse me. And the APAC customer, we know that that has been a very challenged um, region. And so that's just, just starting to, to reopen again. In EMEA, it's been a lot slower than the U.S. I mean, the U.S. consumer went running <laughs> back to the mall, so to speak. And the EMEA consumer is really just starting to get out there. So in the first quarter, U.K. was very strong as a quarter started to end, we saw France and Germany opening up because those restrictions started to lift. So again, it's coming along and it's starting to open up, but it has not come back as quickly as the U.S. has. Compared to pre-pandemic, or I'll go back to those four <coughs> years ago, how, how have trends changed? You are a merchant at heart. You've been doing heart. this for, yeah, <laughs> for heart. I, I could see it just walking around this room. I could see the love in a lot of these clothes. You know, how have trends changed at this point uh, in the pandemic? Tremendously. So during the pandemic, when we were listening to our consumer and we were pivoting to be much more casual and cozy and at home, the consumer is telling us they're out there and they're celebrating in many, many different ways. So we are seeing a nice reaction to denim. Now denim did sell during the pandemic and fashion denim sold during the pandemic, but even more of it is selling today and they're using it to, to dress up and do all, hit all those occasions I mentioned before. But we're also seeing such a nice reaction to guys woven tops and swim and all of those other things that they're packing up for those 96 hours and taking on vacation with Can them. Can you explain to me this multicolor denim trend? I am old. <laughs> I am old, Fran. I don't understand this. Help me. Brian, you've been through many, many trends. <laughs> and all that's, trends come around. That's they just, too nice of you. That's they, too nice. They, they get reinvented time and time again. And mm -hmm. you've got to continue to, to make things new. And that's what the consumer is responding to. Uh, you mentioned inclusivity. I know this has been near and dear to you. That is not where the brand was pre-Fran and Harwoods. Pre-Fran. What is the state of your inclusive efforts at Abercrombie & Fitch? So I am, listen, we own our past and I understand who we used to be, but we are a fundamentally different company today and I'm very proud of the progress that we have made. In fact, I will share with you that in the U.S., where data is a little easier to gather than it is internationally, you know, 70% of our U.S. associates identify as female and 60% of them identify as BIPOC. So we've made a terrific, terrific um, improvement in that. But even more importantly, our associate, we have associate resource groups that, that are, for example, BIPOC, LGBTQIA, families, women, and those associates help us understand what they need and what's important to them. It helps identify all of our partnerships. We've got great long-term partnerships with Trevor and Glisten and the Steve Fund and the Academy Group and all of those organizations that support all the causes that our associates and our customers are, feel important. Can you shake that past? Uh, look, uh, it was interesting for me to watch the documentary. Uh, you came out with a statement very forcefully explaining what you've been doing. Can you shake it? I mean, clearly you have made efforts to turn this company around. Absolutely. The brand love that we have felt from our consumers during this period of that documentary has been nothing short of heartwarming. Mm -hmm. And people have come out on social media to be very clear about 
who we are today and what we stand for. So you, do you think they understand that you are a different company? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Talk to us a little bit about Hollister. That is the other brand inside this portfolio. A little bit of a different muted, a little bit of a mu more muted outlook versus Abercrombie & Fitch, at least you know what my old analyst ears I sure. heard at this yep. event. Why is that the case? So Hollister has been the tale of two, two worlds. Mm -hmm. I mean, that really sums it up. And over the past four years, our U.S. business has outpaced the teen apparel business in the U.S. In fact, we've got a 4% CAGR and have grown nicely in the U.S. over the past four years. International, we've had a step back. So in EMEA, we've stepped back. Um, total international, I think about a 20% step back in the business. And that's a couple of reasons. First of all, this consumer still likes to go shopping in the stores. And so they've had an outsized impact from the store closures. And secondly, they're not as digital. So they start every you know, purchase on their phone, but they don't complete it there necessarily. They still come to the mall with their friends to go shopping and be social versus in Abercrombie where it's a higher digital penetration. So those two things coming together are the reason that it has really been a tale of two worlds. This, there's a lot coming at this, this teen consumer. Uh, <laughs> they're driving old jalopies. They're not driving Tesla electric cars. <laughs> they're paying $5.50 in gas. Uh, what are you hearing from this customer right now? How much stress are they under? Yeah, I mean, the customer is definitely, you know, is, is challenged. And the consumer for Hollister, um, the majority of the consumer is, you know, $75,000 income per year or less. And so they've got a lot of competing priorities right now. What we have to stay focused on is the product, the voice, and the experience and giving them what they, what they want. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, they will choose us over the other competitors. We're not that far away from, from back to school, friend. It's, like, <laughs> it's that time. I mean, the business lives for back to school and the holiday shopping season. How might all these economic forces weigh on the business? I mean, in our outlook, you know, we are, we're, we're cautiously optimistic about back to school. The big difference between last year and this year was that last year we had a mini back to school in March and then a little bit of a less of a back to school during the true Q2, Q3 period. So our expectation is that that will, you know, maybe even itself out a little bit and we'll have a more normalized back to school. But again, um, time, will, time will tell. In terms of inventory, there's a lot happening right now in retail inventories. The discounts are picking up. Uh, when do you expect to work through these, these inventories? So I want to just um, comment on that statement. Mm -hmm. So the headlines on the inventory are not the story. They're the headlines. And our story, and I cannot, I cannot speak for others as I never speak about the competition. Our situation is that when we started the second quarter and we talked about our inventories being up 45% of cost and 10% you know, units, 93% of our inventory is current. And we broke that down today. You know, we took a, we took a little pivot from a future-looking day where we we're talking about our you know our long-term goals, and we took a minute to talk about inventory for that very reason. We wanted to make sure everybody understood that 93% of our inventory is current. That means goods that actually haven't even been set yet that we brought in early because of last year we couldn't get the goods in because of all of the challenges that were happening out there long life goods like jeans and underwear and fragrance as well as current goods for spring and summer talk to us about the promotional environment uh, we've seen a few cycles in our lifetime <laughs> we I have remember, <laughs> I remember going into the malls at the height of the Great Recession seeing 60 70 percent off are we there yet Again, we've made tremendous progress on our promotions. So before the pandemic, 
we were, you know, our brand health was not where it is today, and we were exceptionally promotional. Now, we will always be promotional. We live, that's, that's part of what our business is, and our customer enjoys and appreciates value. But today, we are still less promotional than we used to be. We've been able to make progress on our discounted ticket. We've been able to make progress on our AUR. First quarter was our eighth consecutive quarter of AUR growth. So we've seen a lot of progress. Inflation, any sign it's easing. Anything, anything you can give viewers, Fran. It is, I'm paying six or seven bucks dollars for some 12 eggs. It's crazy. I hear you. That one I'm going to leave to the economists, Brian. That's just not in my, you know, not in my purview to, to comment on that today. But um, I'm hopeful, as everybody else, is that we're going to see that um, abating in the near term. Do you see it in the goods you're ordering you know, for future periods? It's starting to lessen at all. Or maybe it's not. Yeah, I mean, currently, uh, obviously, the, the current goods, we have seen some challenges on on, on on both raw materials as well as freight. Um, our expectation towards the back half of the year is that might abate a little bit, but um, nothing nothing so far. Is the supply chain challenges abating at all? Can you get the goods you need? We are seeing a little bit of that, um, of the speed picking up, but understand that we've had to extend our deliveries um, significantly in order to make sure that we don't have a situation like we did last fourth quarter where we were disappointing our customer because we were out of stock. Every chat that we have talked, I would say over the past two years or so, has involved the future of your store network. Every time I talk to you, you have leases up for renewal. <laughs> I think it's this year, what, 25% of your leases are up for renewal. What are you doing with these stores? Well, a couple things. So first of all, this year is actually our first year of being a net store opener in a very long time. Okay, well, that's new. Yeah, that okay. is new. And we're going to be opening up um, you know, 60 new experiences this year that we're very excited about. And I hope your travels take you to Chicago. Okay. We just opened up two new stores in Chicago that I personally visited about three weeks ago that are fantastic. So one is on Southport, and it's a women's only store. So our very first women's only store, and we opened up a dual gender store on State Street. Both of those stores were created through data and analytics and really understanding where our consumer is, where they're shopping, and how they're shopping. That helped us inform the location, the assortments. So. If it's in your travels, please let me know. We will make sure you have a, a nice visit to those stores. I can't help myself. Why women's only store? Because that's what the data told us. Yeah. The data told us that we um, over-indexed to female, that there was a need to have an opportunity for them to pop in, purchase online, pick up in store, order in store, shop in store, um, and that particular location was very heavily indexed to women. Are you still closing flagship stores? Well, I mean, that journey is, is pretty pretty much finished. Um, we have a couple left um, you know, over the next few years, but that, that is really in our past, and that journey has really been, been completed. Walking around the room, I would say it's a pop-up showroom uh, over here. <laughs> I, not every, everybody can't see it, but I would say it's a pop-up showroom. Big representation, somewhat new, I would say, in athleisure. Uh, yes. Work, not workout gear, but things you can wear to work and then maybe wear out, get a workout. How big could that business be for you? So, you know, it's interesting. So NPD data will tell you that active is actually still the fastest growing apparel sector in the U.S. And so we feel we have an opportunity to get our share of that as well. So we have two different places that we're playing. So Gilly Hicks, which is our play happy brand, we have what we consider active lifestyle. So not necessarily hardcore performance wear, but to your point, things that you can go out in, hang out in, but you can also work out in. And YPB, your personal best, which is our newest family member to our Abercrombie adult brand, which is our true performance activewear. That was created because our customers asked for it. They said, you're, you're outfitting us for 96 hours. And one thing that we do on these 96 hours is we work out and we love your quality, your fit, your 
your price point, everything. Create a line for us that we can work out in. And it has been incredibly well received. Last top I want, topic I wanted to get to, you just passed your five-year mark as CEO of Abercrombie Fitch. I know you've been with the company for a while, but. Yeah, yeah, um, five. five and a half. Yeah, I started February of 17, I became CEO. Okay, so you do not get to be the CEO of Abercrombie Fitch for five years in a challenging apparel market historically, if you're not doing a lot right. Uh, any advice to fellow business leaders um, that, based on things that you've learned the past five years? It's a challenging time right now out there. People, people, people. Mm -hmm. I could not have made it through the pandemic or the last five, six, eight years, whatever we want to say my time at Abercrombie without the team that I have created. I absolutely, I love my team. I was asked this morning a little bit in our investor day about the team and what I'm most proud of is the fact that we have a team that is blended from some associates that have been here and have grown and developed with us and from recruiting talent from the outside. And we've been able to take those two things and blend and make an awesome, awesome team. So I would say people number one, and empathy number two. And I know you hear a lot of people saying that, but communicating with your team, staying close to them, making sure you are listening is the key to success today. How have you stayed focused <laughs> over the past two and a half years of the pandemic? Well, I mean, our focus has shifted, candidly. You know, in March of 2020, when we closed all the stores and lost 70% of our top line, you know, we shifted very quickly to, you know, zero-based budgeting and not spending any money and think, only thinking about the immediate term. Um, and then as the year continued and we realized, you know, that we were going to come out a faster, stronger, and smarter company, we had to shift again to the long term. And that's why I'm excited to be here today. Today was like some time to share and spend our long-term strategic goals. Yeah, you put out some big long-term revenue goals, uh, really above a lot of estimates that I saw on the street, over $4 billion in sales by 2025. End of 2025. End of 2025. Where are you going to be in five years? We are going to be the leading global omnichannel retailer. We're going to have an amazing customer experience and a continued uh, fantastic family of brands. Good to see you as always. <laughs> always Fran good Hart, to see you it's, too. I've not seen Thanks you in person for, for a while. I know. Thank Thanks you for, for coming. To see, coming it's good down to be here. back in person and see human beings. Thank awesome. You. Cheers. Thank you.